Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanachef and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. <laughs> greetings, greetings. I had to try it, John. I had to try it. I don't blame you. <laughs> Special thrill, I know. I've done it, you know, in my off time. Well, and I, I've never realized how energizing your, your intro music is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to listen to that a little more. It's really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been pretty solid for what ten years now. That's Something like that. And I have no intention of changing it on you guys. There we go. <laughs> well, I'm Justin Crosley, uh, and of course, my friend John Palmer here. I am filling in for the great Jamil Zanishev, um, who is taking care of his health. He's having a few health issues, um, kind of a long-term thing for the poor guy. So um, it's been going on for a little while, and, and he just needed... We do want to emphasize that this is not STD-related. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Palmer's right. Um, that's If we were talking about me, you know, there... There'd, there'd be there'd be some doubt to that statement. Um, uh, no, he just you know he's got honestly it's a it's a very rare uh, disease. It is not terminal. Don't worry, folks. Um, it, but it takes a long time to treat, and and he just needs a little break. So um, I offered to step in and give Palmer a hand so that we can keep Bruce Strong coming. Very good. Yeah. Uh, okay. And on today's program, we've got a special guest. I'm excited about this topic, um, and I, I think everybody's going to be. And we're speaking to Aaron Justice from Ballast Point Brewing Company. Welcome, Aaron. Hey. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, yeah, save my ass. <laughs> I, I, I get to skip out on work and uh, talk to you guys, so uh, this is this is great. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> we should have planned two shows, John. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen. I'm going to let you guys take this, but um, you know, Aaron is 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 with Ballast Point and has been doing some very interesting research that John Palmer came across. And, um, and so, John, why don't you tell us how you came across this information, and then Aaron can tell us about what he's doing there. Okay. Well, Aaron and I have been friends for several years now. Um, I teach uh, one. I do one lecture at his uh, brewing class down at UCSD, and we've done some uh, different experiments over the years. But this particular one is something that he had done uh, on his own, or at least you know, as as part of uh, normal work at Ballast Point. And um, Aaron, why don't you explain to, to the viewer, the listeners, what what it is that uh, you experimented on? Uh, yeah, I, usually when we're working together, we're doing water-related stuff, and uh, right. I still want to kind of 
keep going with that eventually. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of got sidetracked uh, with this IBU thing because, um, you know, at Bow's Point, we, when we were growing, uh, you know, this is several years ago, uh, we were doubling in size every year. And all of a sudden, brand to brand consistency uh, became a priority. Right. And so, you know, we, we would have weekly uh, meetings with our with our quality team and we would go over uh, critical beer specs you know the, the big ones uh, right gravity ph srm ibu and if there were any red flags uh, we'd just kind of discuss what happened and how to fix that problem and uh so w- w- with this one in, in particular uh I, I, I distinctly remember one time we were sitting in the office and, uh, you know, we, we were off of, of, uh, on IBUs by about, uh, it was like 20 or something like that. And uh, uh, one of the analysts looked at me and he, he said, hey, you know, hey, uh, so w- what happened? <laughs> and and uh, to be honest, I, I, I didn't have an answer to him because, you know, I, I understand – Browse calculations and calculating IBUs and uh, you know and how they can be lost throughout the brewing process, but to have a concrete answer about how much is gained from each hop addition, hot side, uh, and or cold side, uh, I didn't have that answer. So that started this whole project, which we were collecting data for for two years. Wow. Uh, and uh, multiple locations to to really see uh, what the heck is going on. <laughs> yeah, understand better where in the process you gain IBUs and lose IBUs Absolutely. towards your target. Yeah. Well, and I think I think with this one, and well, even to just backtrack just a little bit, uh, you know, when you have a staff of brewers, mistakes happen, and you know, sometimes they forget a sixty-minute addition. They they didn't even realize they did, and uh, so yeah. If, if we don't have any data to show, okay, well, if, if we're off by ten IBUs, well, uh, chances are uh, he or she missed the whirlpool edition. Uh, then we could actually fix that problem, as opposed to just kind of guessing. Sure. Yep. Well, what's amazing, to, first of all, this sounds like a daunting task. I'm, I'm not surprised that you've had to collect data for a couple of years, but I am a little surprised that this information isn't out there. I mean, I imagine Ballas is not the first brewery to run across this issue in the in the history of brewing. Uh, that, that's an excellent point. And uh, that's kind of why I wanted to share this information. Mm-hmm. Uh, because most of the studies that I've seen, uh, you know, they, they, they go into depth with HPLC, but it's usually uh, beers. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, they're all lager beers. They're not this wide variety of beer styles uh, and or ones that are heavily hopped and heavily dry hopped. Got it. Okay. And I'm going to do this throughout the show because I'm that guy. But can you can you explain HBLC to me? Oh my gosh! You know, I, I I'm drawing a blank of what those letters stand for. Palmer, uh, do you remember? Liquid chromatography. There you go. Thank you, John. <laughs> John, that was the, uh, See, that's why John and I are friends. Or it might be high pressure. I'm not sure. 
Uh, I think it's high performance. I think that sounds right. So okay. does, does that describe a device that measures or a process? It is a, it's both. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So you, you have this, this piece of equipment and you have a standard to run, uh, and then a technique and, uh, away you go. Got it. Okay. And it, it I'll, I'll be honest. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a brewer first. Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I, I'm, I'm a meteorologist, so I, I have a science background. So at least I understand a lot of the, the science, but once we start getting into, uh, super analytics uh i always defer to our lab team who are the the nerdiest of nerds uh i'm a a huge brewing nerd they take nerd nerddom to the to the next level (laughs) right just just like my friend john here yeah yeah (laughs) well wait now i can't let this go by you're a you're a meteorologist turned brewer (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I was so I, I got my meteorology degree. Uh, I got into television. I was in television for almost thirteen years. Uh, so I was a, I was a TV meteorologist, and uh, I was a home brewer at, uh, during that entire time. And I decided that uh, brewing was way cooler than television. <laughs> so you you were the guy in front of the green screen, uh, you know, uh, showing me the weather patterns. That that was me. That's so cool. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Uh, but Bruins more fun. So I get I, it. I I cannot over. Don't get me wrong. I had fun in broadcasts. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of crazy stories. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, beer. Uh, I mean, you can't you you, you can't compare. Right. Make, making beer for a living and being involved with beer is the coolest thing. Period. I I can't I couldn't agree more. Um, but I will say, you know, I have a longer format show here on the Brewing Network called The Session, and I think I'm going to have to have you back so I can hear some of these crazy stories, too. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm always available. Excellent. Especially right in the middle of the day when I'm supposed to be working. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, let me do this. I, I need to get us to a break. Um, but the first thing I want to do is make sure I understand what we're what we're talking about here. And so essentially, you're just having these discrepancies, uh, particularly in IBUs from what you were calculating they should be. And then when you measure the beer at, at the final product, you're finding them to be quite different. And your your study was to figure out exactly where, when, why, and how those discrepancies are happening. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, there was a black box, you know, from adding hops in the kettle to finished product, and we just wanted to uh, to clarify it. Got Track it. it all the way through. Okay, perfect. Then I'm going to get us to a very quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive into this. Uh, but first, Palmer, uh, we should be thanking John Blickman for bringing us Bruce Strong, shouldn't we? Oh, indeed, yes. <laughs> He's been sponsoring this show for a number of years now. And uh, couldn't do without him. You know what? It doesn't matter how much I screw up or what awful things Jamil says. He just won't drop us. That's right. He's a true <laughs> true friend that way. He is. Go to BlickmanEngineering.com and learn about all the amazing uh, products that, that John engineers over there. John and his team are a great group of people, and uh, they, they blow my mind every time. I'm looking forward to seeing their booth at HomebrewCon this year, as, yeah. I, as I always am, because he's always unveiling something crazy. So, yeah, well, in fact, we're going to have the new Anvil Foundry all in one uh, system. Oh, if you're familiar with the Grainfather and Robobrew, yeah, it's a similar system, but uh, made even easier by being Blickman. 
I'm excited about that because, you know, we're about to give away the official Brewing Network um, More Beer Brew Sculpture. We're gonna uh-huh. we're gonna give it away to a lucky listener. It used to be Jamil's, and then and then it became the Brewing Networks, and now we're gonna give that away. So I might be in the market for a new all-in-one brew kit, man. There you go. I'll have to go check it out. Uh, all right. Thank you to John Blickman, and we will be right back on Brew Strong with Aaron Justice. Hang in there. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right. Welcome back to the program, and thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, I'm filling in for Jamil. It's Justin here, and we've got John Palmer and uh, Aaron Justice from Ballast Point on the line with us. And uh, as mentioned before the break, we are talking about an enormous research project that Aaron took on to figure out why discrepancies in IBU inputs are happening um, uh, and in the final product. So, um, Palmer, do you want to give us a quick definition of IBU for everyone out there so we can move on with this? Sure. Yeah, well, um, the IBU, International Bitterness Unit, um, it's based on a spectrophotometric test, um, ASBC number 23, I believe, I believe. And what they do is they take a sample of beer, um, add a solvent to it, do a solvent extraction, and so now you have this extraction of bitter stuff that they've pulled from the beer, and then they shine a, a light through it of a specific wavelength, 275 nanometers, and they measure the absorption or how much, how much of that light is absorbed by the sample. And then they take that number and multiply it by 50, and that's your IBU. And that is the standard test that's been in place since the 1950s uh, that everybody uses around the world. And what it measures is this extracted bitter stuff that is chemically similar to um, isoalpha acids, you know, the, the main bittering in, uh, ingredient in beer, um, but is not, it, it also includes a lot of other things. It includes the beta acids, the unisomerized alpha acids, oxidized alpha acids, um, tannins, um, a whole bunch of different chemical compounds that are, you know, similar to isoalpha, but in some cases are actually not bitter. 
Got it. So there's a whole lot else going on in there, and, and, and it's not as accurate as we want it to be? Is that kind of what's happening? Well, yeah, that's part of it. Um, the Like I say, the test has been in use since the 1950s, and it is the industry standard test. So when we talk about you know, a beer being 60 IBUs or 70 IBUs or whatever, uh, or in the case of American Light Lager, only 15 IBUs, we're referring to this test specifically. Um, and it, again, it's based on we're estimating how bitter a beer is by measuring this this um, absorption of supposedly bitter stuff. Now, as we've moved from um, over the years from you know bittering additions only you know you know hour long boils and so on mm-hmm. no dry hopping etc back in back then the the test was pretty good i mean there was there wasn't a whole lot else in the mix so um it was a pretty good correlation you know uh, test to perceive bitterness but now that we're now that we're dealing with more i guess flavor and aroma additions and maybe even more flavorful and aroma driven hops themselves there's right. there's an entire portion of this perceived bitterness or bitterness itself that is not encap- encapsulated by this measurement well and actually it's almost the other way around okay the the test is capturing all of the non-bitter stuff that comes from hops as well I see. And so you're you're capturing um, aroma, or it's a hop flavor and aroma as well, um, to some degree. And um, we are getting we're for the same amount of bitter stuff. Where we have a lower proportion of, um, say, isomerized alpha acids because we're doing more late addition hopping and so on. I see. So it is there, there. We have kind of lost uh, the the same correlation that we used to have with the IBU. Um, it doesn't mean that the IBU is invalid. Um, it just we just kind of have to recalibrate ourselves on what the IBU is telling us, what this IBU test is telling us. And so as we talk through um, Aaron's experiments or his his data collection, um, it's important to understand that you know he is sampling the wort and the beer throughout the process, measuring this absorption of bitter stuff, which you know is actually very varied in chemistry. It's not just isoalpha acids. Got it. Okay, so Aaron, where do you want to start to help us understand, uh, well, where you began and how you went through this? Uh, boy, yeah, where, where did we begin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we wanted to start with the, the very beginning. And we, we have certain brands that um, had mash hops. So we decided to, uh, to see if mash hops add bitterness to beer. And I, I, a lot of people... I tell you, this was a, a very heated debate in the brewery because a lot of people, uh, you know, thought that uh, yeah, mash hops don't add bitterness, but uh, uh, they absolutely do. So uh, we we uh, decided to uh, take those beers, and once we collected all the wort into the kettle, uh, we would take a sample 
and this is for all of our hot side sampling that we did. Uh, we'd take a sample, we'd cool that sample down, uh, centrifuge it down to get all the particulate out, uh, and immediately analyze it. Um, and uh, we found that that you know mash, mash hops did add uh, you know a certain amount of IBU uh, to beer. Uh, in fact, we were getting anywhere from eight to ten uh, percent utilization. Uh, from those hops, uh, so yeah. it, 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 and I think that surprises a lot of people. Uh, I was not surprised just because I knew that, you know, uh, if it's sitting in a mash ton at 150 or or above, especially by the end of louder, uh, you got to get something out of there. Yeah. So uh, let me let me ask this question, Aaron. So when you're doing this, you you. You start your mash, you put in, put in your mash hops, um, you finish the mash, do you then uh, take the, uh, the beer through the boil and fermentation with no other hop additions? Unfortunately, no. So, And that, that was the tough part because this specific IPA has a lot of hot side additions and, and is dry hopped. So really... Uh, so you were, so you were saying okay we're we're doing these boil additions or other additions we're accounting for that and this difference then must must be due to the mash hopping. So yeah, we we pulled a sample before we started adding any hops. Okay. Uh, to see what we extracted from those mash hops. And we we did a control where we didn't add mash hops and um the the funny thing is with with these uh you know these uh, like what you're talking about with these IBU measurements uh even the control would still pull up like one or two IBUs just from sure. mold. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that, that's just the nature of the game. I, I you know, I remember reaching out to uh, John Paul May from uh, from Hopsteiner, uh, and he said, you know, uh, about ninety percent of the bittering that comes from IBUs is from uh, uh, ice alpha acid, alpha acid, and humulinone. Uh But then there's that whole other ten percent uh, of who knows what. Uh, yeah. And and when we when we were doing these these experiments, we uh, we found that we could get bitterness from or, uh, bitter orange peel, from cinnamon, uh, and various other spices would also throw in, uh, you know, some IBUs into our measurements. Sure, they would be in the test would interpret these other compounds as being bitter stuff similar to iso alpha and and so on. Absolutely, and okay. specifically, uh, specifically our pumpkin beer. Uh, I was like, uh, "Boy, is our pumpkin beer really forty IBU?" I, I don't think so. Uh, that, I think that you know the, the spices we're adding uh, uh, quite a bit to to our measurements, uh, but the perceived bitterness was not there. Wow. Well, so there's all of these factors, but then you also have to account for all the other standard factors of adding bitterness too like there's so many variables right like even just uh, boil time gravity uh, you know i know you're talking about just starting with mash hopping here but as you go on like what form the hop is in there's, a, there's just hundreds of variables and i i think that's uh that's a good point and um you know the ones that we focused on because it, you know you can go through the list and you know uh boil time uh, work gravity, hop rate, uh, yeah, uh, what, what kind of hop product are you using, pellets, are you using extract, are you using a uh, whole cone, uh, pH, 
how fresh are the hops? Uh, what kind of kettle are you using? I mean, uh, it is. But I, when we did the study, it was very clear which ones had the biggest impacts. And really, it became uh, work gravity, uh, a boil time or contact time, mm-hmm. uh, hop rate. And uh, the other one was uh, uh, the saturation point. Yeah. Um, you use, use so many hops. I mean, you, once you start getting up to near about 100 IBU, uh, you really aren't going to extract that much more out of those hops. Wow. No, so putting in more, longer boil time, nothing really changed once you reached that 100 IBU threshold. Uh, we, we would get uh, uh, IPAs that could get to uh, at, at knockout. We could get, uh, I think one IPA had almost 129 IBUs. Okay, wow. Uh, so you can, you can do it, but that, that's a very heavily hopped beer. Um, and interestingly, for that one specifically, uh, almost half those IBUs were lost during fermentation. <laughs> so Interesting, okay. So it then all of a sudden dropped back down to the 60s. And that's, that's really, when we were doing a study... We're thinking, what the heck is going on? How how do we get a knockout of 129 IBUs when our target is 70? Uh, right. And and then lo and behold, we would hit our target of 70. So you know, a lot of times we were hitting these targets just because we had brewed these beers so often, mm. uh, and we were we would hit our targets, but we didn't really understand why. Understand why? And now now all of a sudden, this kind of uh, enlightened us, if you will. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what, what was the utilization in, in mash hopping, you know, compared to, to boil hopping? So that the brewers who are kind of saying, no, I, I don't believe in this. But, you know, w- what did you find? Uh, we, we were getting anything, anything as low as 8% to um, uh, as high as 11%. And I, I, I will say that we decided to use two different hops at different alpha to see if we would get more IBUs with the high alpha hops, which we did. Hmm. Uh, we also used a different hop rate for each hop. So one was Palisade, and we hopped at, uh, I think it was like a half pound per barrel versus a pound per barrel. Uh, and the more hops we use, uh, the less utilization, uh, utilization we got. And that, that's going to be kind of a trend uh, going forward is this hop rate you know, and, and when you're using these these high hopped IPAs, the more hops you use, the less utilization you're going to get. It, it, there is a direct correlation. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of this study is you know the the fact that hopping rate and hop IBU saturation are such big factors in you know in what we eventually achieve and as well as you know uh, the calculations that we normally do when we try to calculate how many IBUs we're going to get I, I think uh, yeah, that's a great point and uh, I, we when we were doing this we had an IPA that um, the Whirlpool hops and this, this is an old recipe but the Whirlpool hops were about 0.1 pounds per barrel uh, which is not a lot um, Versus another one had a pound per barrel, so it had ten times as much hops in the whirlpool. But this other one uh, was more bitter. Uh, so yeah. even though it had such a low hop rate in the whirlpool, its utilization was terrible. Whereas yeah. the other one had a better utilization. So we realized right there that uh, the the saturation point thing is, is a real thing. Yeah. 
That we we'll talk more about that later. I think um, I want to interject here for our listeners that um, in terms of hop rate, um, when we talk about pounds per barrel, uh, just for for uh, comparison's sake, one pound per barrel is about four grams per liter in terms of hopping, and is also equal to about a half an ounce per gallon. So as we you know, as our listeners try to uh, understand this unit in terms of their own brewing. Uh, one pound per barrel is about four grams per liter, is about a half ounce per gallon. I think that's good. That'll definitely help people <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, John, do you want to move on to to now what happens in the boil, or cover some more uh, just of the of the variables that were are still happening in for factors for bitterness? Well, I think I think we've covered the. The basics, and I think as we talk about boil hopping, um, we'll talk about more of these these factors and what are relevant here versus mash hopping versus whirlpool. Um, but I think you know just to recap, um, the standard factors for bitterness: um, boil time or contact time, uh, boil temperature, wort gravity, um, then the hopping rate and the saturation point. Saturation point being about 100 IBUs. Maybe it's 107, maybe it's 110, maybe it depends a little bit on the particular wort or system that you're using. But you know, somewhere around 100 IBUs does seem to be a plateau in terms of getting more, you know, more IBU into a beer. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and the final point on mash hopping, I think, which I think is interesting, is that, um, you know, you're, you're putting hops in the mash and only getting about 8 to 10, 8 to 11 percent utilization out of that, you know, quantity versus, say, 40 percent or more util- utilization from a boil addition. And let's talk about boil additions now. Okay. This this one was interesting for sure. <laughs> the the um, the first thing that we we wanted to see was how quickly we were getting our bitterness from those those kettle additions, and uh, we we found out that within five to ten minutes we were getting most of our IBUs out of the hops that we added. And I, I think yeah. that was another real big shocker for us. Uh, we were not expecting that. Yeah, that, and that was really surprising to me, too. Um, but I think in light of the test, it can be uh, you know, put in perspective. So what we're saying is that five, you know, 10 minutes into the boil, you've done this addition. Um, a lot of the extractable material from the hops is coming out into solution and is being registered in the test, right? Yep. Okay. So, in this uh, extracted material are, you know, unisomerized alpha acids. Um, Then you have your oxidized alpha acids, which are also bitter, but only about two-thirds as bitter as an isomerized alpha acid. And then as that boil proceeds, you're going to get uh, more and more isomerization happening. And so I think, um, let's say at, at 
10 minutes, we've got 80% of the total soluble hop extract into the boil. But as that boil proceeds, you're going to get about another, say, 20% of soluble hop extract into the boil, as well as increasing the proportion of isoalpha that's going to be part of that IBU measurement. Would that be correct? I think that's fair enough. I I, I know that, you know, I, I guess the real question would be how soluble is alpha acid? Uh, and that's something I, I, I know that it's not as soluble as isoalpha acid, but um, I, I've never known, like, the true solubility factor for yeah. alpha acid. And that's why we, we would love to do HPLC because then you could see each compound. Uh, right changing and and I, I even said this when i gave the the talk at the brew summit uh i think i even talked about it in the paper but uh you know this ibu measurement's more of like a, a an x-ray uh whereas uh hplc is more of like a cat scan where the x-ray is yeah. very fuzzy and you can at least get the picture but the cat scan is going to really tell you what's going on yeah that's a very really good analogy um, yeah, I was talking to uh, Val Peacock about this, um, about your paper and so on. Val, of course, being a, a hop expert from, uh, from formerly from Anheuser-Busch. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, he agreed that um, the IBU test, the spectrophotometric test, uh, does um, extract the unisomerized alpha as well as other hop and beer compounds again, that are soluble in the solvent that they use for the test. So there is that 10% uh, that's other other unrelated, you know, material that you mentioned, um, as well as, I think, unisomerized alpha um, that would be captured in that test. And so, yeah, with an HPLC done in tandem with this, we probably would see an increasing proportion of ISO uh, throughout the boil, it would be really cool to to see the an- individual analogs. So uh, yeah. obviously you have you know, humulone, uh, isocohumulone, uh, isoadhumulone, and and yeah, see how rapidly each one of those analogs gets picked up, and and lost. Uh, if I ever have another two years to 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 do this, that would be really cool. But uh, <laughs> holy smokes, that that would be a very cool study to read yeah it would so can i ask you guys from a from a sensory standpoint if i'm understanding this right if if most of this you know if 80 percent of the ibus are happening within the first 10 minutes and then the other 20 percent happens over time does this reinforce the um philosophy that late hopping um provides less of a sharp bitterness or firm bitterness than early hopping. Do you, do you think this correlates with that at all? I think so. Um, but I think, the, again, the reason is that late hopping, you aren't getting the isomerized alpha, which is you know the, the king of bitterness, mm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting more of the oxidized alpha, the, the humulinones, as they're called. Um, and those are only about two-thirds as bitter as uh, isoalpha. So, um, yeah, le- le- you are getting bitterness, but it's from a different compound than the isoalpha. Okay. And, uh, and polyphenols, too. Uh, yep. Even though polyphenols uh, 
a lot of them like xanthohumol don't really register on the IBU. Um, they definitely enhance perceived bitterness. And, and the longer you boil uh, hops, you're going to extract that ve- uh, those polyphenols out of that vegetal matter. So I, I can only imagine that also will add to uh, an astringency that can uh, be perceived as bitterness as well. Okay, got it. I like that your study is starting to explain some of these things for us, too. We've been talking about this on the show for years, this whole late hopping thing. Jamil, uh, you know, introduced it to me and many others, and then and now it's just sort of the standard, right? So it's, it's nice for me to understand kind of what's happening uh, with that process. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Now, Aaron, you had mentioned um, the the hopping rate and how I think I think it was what table was that in the paper it's table two no table one um, basically if I read this correctly that you were getting um, at a lower hopping rate you know less pounds per barrel but higher alpha you were getting better utilization than using a lower alpha hop at a higher rate, it is you know more pounds per barrel. I think that's. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we we saw how hop rate had such a a big impact on utilization. So we we have the luxury because we were brewing four four brews into one fermenter. We could just kind of blend it all together. So we decided to change the hop rate. Uh, we the target uh, IBU was 40 for this beer, and uh, so we, we did. We we took a, a high alpha um, hop, Polaris. Uh, then we took a couple medium range hops, uh, Northern Brewer and Palisade, and then we used Tetanang on the fourth brew. Uh, so Polaris has seventeen point six percent alpha acid, whereas Tetanang has one point nine. Wow. So you know the the Polaris because you know we're targeting the same uh, uh, alpha charge uh, yeah. for this beer. But the Polaris was uh, the hop rate was 0.1 pounds per barrel, whereas the Tetanang was 1.2 pounds per barrel. So 12 times as much hops were thrown in, and the utilization uh, dropped dramatically. So the Polaris, the the utilization was uh, 45% utilization. Uh, the Tetanang was uh, about 31%. So I, yeah. I think that just that that vegetal matter, the the the, the trube. Uh, takes away from utilization. Uh, yeah. I can only imagine that the iso-alpha acid uh, it, it adheres to uh, th- uh, surface areas. Yeah. So if you increase the surface areas, uh, in other words, uh, particulate, it's going to take away from your 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 bitterness. Yeah, and we should uh, define utilization again real quickly. Um, so. Utilization is basically the the uh, let's see the the measured IBUs. I wrote this down when I read it. The measured IBUs divided by the amount of uh, alpha acids in grams per liter that you put into the beer. So, um, is, is that I believe that's yep. What did I do with that? Yeah, so like, like uh, uh, to to, tech, to calculate your alpha charge, uh, it's just like a, an IBU uh, calculation. So you have your weight times the percent alpha acid, 
uh, over a volume, and then you just convert that to milligrams per liter or, right. or, or PPM, parts per million. Right. Yeah. And then compare that, too, with the actual uh, IBUs that you measured from the beer. How much, how much of that alpha then was realized in the beer? And that's your percent utilization that we're talking about. Uh, indeed. Okay. Good. Just to catch everybody up. That is good. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Whenever I say alpha charge, it is uh, the, the the total amount that we should have got uh, theoretically, but obviously you're never going to get, you know, 100 of all that alpha out of those hops. Right. Right. That makes sense to you, Justin. It does. Uh, believe it or not, it does. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I, what I'm thinking is um, that that hop sellers don't want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> this, guy, this this less is more situation that Aaron has found, you know. Um, but hop sellers love love craft brewers though because we uh, we've introduced uh, the the four pound per barrel dry hop. Right, so, uh, right. You've you've more than made up for it with that. Yeah, yeah. Hop growers, whenever I go up to hop harvest, uh, absolutely love us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're you're right though. I, a lot of people, uh, when you're talking about recipes, and they say, "Oh yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what hop you use. You know, you can substitute any any hop for a 60 minute addition because when you boil it, you kind of remove all the the aroma and flavor from that hop." But mm. uh, I, I caution you that uh, you need to watch for those alphas. You know, so if you're going to substitute a hop for a 60 minute boil, make sure that it's a similar alpha. Otherwise, you're going to get uh, a better utilization or worse utilization. Uh, depending on what the alpha is on those hops. Got it. Good point. And Palmer, it, I'm glad. Well, Aaron, I'm glad that you 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 wrapped it up by explaining why you think that happens, and it, with the surface area and and the vegetal matter, you know, alphas, you know, clinging to that and and dropping out in the tube. Because as you were describing it, I'm just thinking, well, how is that possible? I don't understand. And and that makes sense, you know. And and that, that's something that we're going to see uh, uh, with the whirlpool as well. The, okay. the vegetal matter had a, an incredible impact on utilization. Okay. Well, why don't we do this, Palmer? If it's all right with you, we'll take another quick break, and when we come back, we can we can talk more about this and and whirlpool hopping. Excellent. Okay. Very good. Hang in there. We are talking with Aaron Justice from uh, Ballast Point Brewing Company, and um, Aaron, can I uh, am I able to link to this paper when we post this show? Uh, it, it's on the NBAA uh, website, which requires a um, membership. NBA membership. Got uh, it. NBAA membership. Well, then a little plug for the NBAA, who does good work, and, and John's doing some great work for them, too. Uh, you professional brewers out there, if you want access to this, go uh, go on over to the NBAA website and get yourself a membership so you can read more about this. Uh, in the meantime, hang in there. Uh, this is Bruce Strong, and we will be right back. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Well, the other two guys here know how to turn beer into beer. You're uh, <laughs> you're tuned into Brew Strong. I'm Justin Crosley filling in for Jamil Zanishef today, uh, and of course we're here with the great John Palmer and Aaron Justice from Ballast Point Brewing Company, and we're talking about uh, IBU discrepancies and and the research project that Aaron has been uh, working on for the past uh, couple years of his life. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, 
John, do we need to cover more about what is happening in the boil, or are we ready to move on to the, the next phase? Well, I think uh, one question I had for Aaron is, um, you know, in view of the significant impact of hopping rate and saturation point, you know, in realizing uh, IBUs into the beer, finished beer, um, how do you think uh, original gravity or, you know, the, the word gravity uh, factor compares to those two? Where do you think they rank? It, it looks... Um I guess it depends on what type of beer you're brewing because uh, we kind of noticed this, that the lower gravity beers, that there was really not a strong correlation. And, and I read a paper uh, about it, uh, and they also found the same thing, that anything uh, below roughly 13 Plato. Uh, okay, 1052. Uh, yeah, 1052. Uh, there really wasn't that strong of a correlation between utilization and gravity. But once you started getting above 1052 or 13 Plato, you start to see a steady decrease uh, in, in utilization. And I don't, I don't know if that's just because, uh, just because it's density, you know, just mm-hmm. because it's more dense uh, that you're, you know, anything's going to be less soluble in a more dense fluid. Yeah. Uh, or it could be a combination of things that there's uh, just just more true uh, in yeah. the kettle. So, uh, but we did see that you know the super high gravity beers, you start to see a pretty rapid decrease in utilization as well. So I, I think when you're talking about kettle kettle hopping, the the, the big ones, uh, and and you know the old calculations used to be just work gravity and time. Uh-huh. But I, I think you do have to factor in also hop rate and saturation. And I think that hop rate and saturation uh, may have a bigger impact than, than all the rest. Okay. It's interesting if you if you use uh, the, the standard Tenseth model, um, uh, one pound per barrel, uh, if you assume 10% alpha acids in a 60-minute boil, um, that works out to about 100 IBUs when you calculate it out. So, yeah, just kind of interesting that those the way that those numbers, typical numbers, kind of calculate out. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, for us. We we as we were going through this this study, uh, the the end game was to come up with a, a predictive model uh, to predict what was happening in our brewery as you know more sophisticated model, which. Uh, I'm guessing we'll be talking about uh, here later, but uh, right, yeah. But kettle, kettle, uh, kettle addition, at least for for uh, the equation that I use, it's work gravity, time, and uh, and hop rate. Okay. Um, and saturation, I didn't work into there just because it was it's kind of hard uh, to kind of figure that out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know, uh, when you go into whirlpool. You kind of have this known IBU, or at least target IBU that you're going to have at the whirlpool. So, in okay. other words, it's still work in progress. <laughs> yes. Well, of course, of course. Okay. Well, let's talk about whirlpool hopping then. Um, so, you, you saw the same sorts of trends then that you saw during uh, boil hopping in terms of, you know, the the rapid increase in in measured IBUs. We did. I. Uh, you know, when we pump uh, to the whirlpool, we pump at a, a at a high velocity. So you're talking about 
uh, 60 barrels of wort going into the whirlpool, 60 barrels, uh, one, one barrel is 30, 31 gallons. So, uh, you can do the math right there. It's a lot. Um, so, uh, we usually pump over to the whirlpool in about 20 minutes, uh, all that fluid. So in order to create a, uh, very strong circulation, Uh once it's all pumped over to the whirlpool, we drop the hops in. Okay. And allow those hops to, to settle down for 20 minutes. Uh, and then we knock out to the fermenter. Okay. So uh, there's, oh, go so ahead. Would, oh, sorry. I was just kind of summarizing. So there's like a 20-minute, a nominal 20-minute contact time between the the hops and the hot wort. There is. And and then during knockout to fermenter, uh, usually we take uh, anywhere from 40 minutes to, to almost an hour. So total contact time. For for our whirlpool hops, mm-hmm. uh, was about eighty minutes roughly. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, but we were getting all of our IBUs again in the first five to ten minutes. So uh, and and then not only that, but uh, as the hops were sitting in the whirlpool, uh, we really didn't gain that much more uh, bitterness. And I, I can only guess because, uh, A, the temperature is dropping in the whirlpool. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, the thermal mass and our whirlpool was pretty high. So it stayed pretty hot uh, during knockout. But there's that factor. And also, uh, all the hops settled to the bottom. Uh, so you're not getting this, this rigorous mixing mm, yeah. of hops uh, th- that you get during boiling. Okay. Now, when you say uh, bitterness in that context, are you talking strictly about the the ASPC measurement, or are are you talking perceived bitterness? Uh, that's a good question, and uh, it, I just what we measured. So the measured IBU. Okay. Um, and and I would love to do a uh, an, an experiment where we could uh, actually do some sensory to this, but. Um, you know, uh, so for kettle uh, additions, we were getting on on average uh, 44% utilization. Uh, for Whirlpool, uh, we were getting almost uh, 30% utilization, uh, okay. which is uh, significant to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but you know, again, what were we getting? Is it uh, a, it's co- it's a combination of you know alpha acid, humulonone, and and iso alpha acid. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, of that 30% utilization, you know, maybe more isomerization is occurring with time over that 80 minutes, you know, although at a reduced rate because you're at a lower temperature. But, uh, yeah, but still very interesting. And nicely, the interesting thing about whirlpool hopping is that I think you get a proportionally greater uh, contribution of bitterness from the uh, the oxy alpha the humulinones, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just go humulinone, and uh, <laughs> maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's but, it's uh, yeah. We so the thing is that with these these whirlpool additions, once we found this out, we started making a, a lot of IPAs with uh, whirlpool only additions. Uh, we didn't want to add any uh, bitterness. Uh, up front uh, on the 60-minute edition because we realized that we were getting plenty uh, from the Whirlpool. Uh-huh. Uh, our Scottish Ale, uh, you know, we put a little bit of Whirlpool edition of Fuggle in our Scottish Ale, and uh, the hop rate is super low, as you can imagine. Uh, but we were getting 44% utilization in the Whirlpool uh, uh-huh. for our Scottish Ale. So uh, it makes a difference. 
versus our Imperial Red, which was you know pound per barrel in the Whirlpool. Uh, it's already a super bitter beer, or, or it was bitter wort going into the Whirlpool. Uh, the utilization was dreadful. Uh, the utilization was 10%. Wow. Uh, yeah. you know, it's a high-gravity, highly hopped uh, beer that we threw a ton of hops in into the Whirlpool. So the hop rate was just outrageous, and it had the lowest utilization at 10%. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I, I think that it's that kind of uh, data and understanding that really will benefit, you know, a lot of commercial brewers. I mean, understanding you know, where to spend their money on hop additions. It is. And, you know, going back to even uh, 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 our, our, our hop friends up in Yakima, I've it allows them to to say, hey, you know, um, if you're really worried about uh, utilization um, and you're not brewing IPA, uh, maybe you do want to use kettle extract. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, you remove all, almost all vegetal matter with kettle extract, uh, so util- utilization is going to be uh, significantly more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's, uh, like I say, it, Everything we did with this study was, was eye-opening for us, and we, we, we knew that we had to share this with people uh, because it, it would just be a shame if we just kept it to ourselves. Uh, that, what, what is that going to do for the beer, beer community? Uh, you know, we, we're all here to, to make better beer. That's kind of the mantra of the MBAA, and that's, that's why I wanted to share it uh, yeah, exactly. with, with the MBAA. I love this. Absolutely. And uh, I will give a second plug to our friends up in Yakima, um, good friends of the show, Yakima Chief Hops, uh, YCH up there. And um, I, I think that's an excellent point, that if you're dealing with all this vegetal matter, um, I think brewers really should try some of these new products that you can use, these hop uh, extracts. So um, They're but, there to, to, to help you out to achieve the goals that you want. Yeah. So they, they come up with these things to, to, uh, to, to make you a better brewer, to... Do what you want to do mm-hmm. and allow you to be uh, creative. So uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, are you seeing the saturation barrier, that, that 100 IBU saturation as well in, in the Whirlpool? Is that- oh, yeah. And when it goes back to the calculation uh, for, for Whirlpool, I remove time. You know, whatever you're going to get uh, out of those hops, uh, you're going to get. Uh, so time really is just not a factor with Whirlpool hops. And instead, I inject uh, the IBU saturation uh, variable into the equation. So for Whirlpool, when you're calculating out Whirlpool, at least for me, uh, we do gravity, hop rate, and IBU saturation. Okay. Got but it. But it, it was, uh, you know, if, if you're going at a pound per barrel hop rate in the Whirlpool, uh, you're going to get like an 18% utilization. Uh, if, if you're going for a light one, uh, it's going to be uh, much more than that. It's going to be double that. Wow. Okay. Well, before we go into your models uh, some more, Aaron, let's talk a little bit about uh, the losses that occur during fermentation. I, I think that's super important. And this one was, uh, this was a big factor as well. And, and this helps us to... to to achieve our goal of uh, hitting our target IBUs is understanding uh, what the heck goes on in the fermenter uh, once you knock out into that fermenter. And we found that uh, our beers, on average, 
were losing 30, uh, 33% of their IBUs within the first two days of fermentation. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you think about this, uh, you know, the cell growth, you know, during those first two days is, oh, yeah. you know, exponential. So you have this, you know, huge biomass of yeast cells uh, in your fermenter. And the isoalpha acids and other bittering compounds are, again, sticking to the exterior of those, those cells. And, uh, and, and you're getting a loss of IBUs. And we found that it, it depends on um, what yeast strain you use on how big of a loss you're going to get. If you're going to have a non-flocculent yeast strain, in other words, one that stays in suspension. Uh, for instance, uh, ones that we saw with uh, high IBU loss were the Sactois from White Labs and um, the uh, uh, Whitbeer yeast strain. Okay. Uh, These low-flocculating ones, huh? Yeah, the uh, low-flocculating uh, did I say high? I, I meant low. Okay. Uh, but yeah, low low flocculating uh, yeast strains. Uh, definitely, we saw losses closer to you know forty fifty percent. Okay. Now, to clarify this a little bit, no pun intended. Um, nice. <laughs> so, a I, I low flocculating yeast strain stays in solution longer probably picks up more of the the hop compounds and then when you do filter it out then you're taking away more of the the alpha and bitterness the ibus with it uh compared to a control indeed Is that right? okay and and filtration we were seeing uh, a further ibu loss of about five to uh, about twelve percent uh, oh. of of our uh, uh, of of our bitterness or our measured IBUs, so filtration definitely removes uh, bitterness as well. We we also saw that um, if 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 you're at a uh, high Krausen and and uh, you see the tank blowing off and, and and you know there's just yeast all over the floor, uh, we would get uh, it's it's hard to quantify, but we were lo- losing a lot of IBUs through that. Oh, okay. uh, we. We use anafoam uh, because uh, that that equates to beer loss. Yeah. Uh, if you have you know just an overflowing fermenter, uh, you're you're literally seeing thousands of dollars go down the drain. Okay. Uh, so so we use anafoam, and that helps to kind of control uh, IBU so that we're not getting a, a loss during fermentation. But still, uh, it, it is it's 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 significant, and uh, uh, the gravity the the OG of the beer. Uh, if it's a bigger beer, uh, the biomass is going to be bigger yeah. uh, at the end. So there's going to be more yeast cells uh, and a longer fermentation and a more vigorous uh, fermentation. So you're also going to get a bigger loss with bigger beers. Makes sense. Yes. Okay. So really across the entire brewing process, I just keep hearing that um, – Kind of surface area and biomass has one of the biggest effects on everything that you were able to measure. It does, uh, and and I, I, I actually summarize it really nicely <laughs> because it, it, it is, uh, yeah. If, it, if it's not the vegetal matter or trube in the kettle or the whirlpool, then uh, it's the same thing when um, your uh, you see fermentation, yeah, uh, filtration. Uh, that's all surface area. Anything that 
that can that the beer can run across, uh, you're going to just be losing those isoalpha acid and other bittering compounds. So, yeah, it's it's just it's it's a very uh, complex uh, model for sure yeah well but especially if i can understand it it's both complex and rather simple like these these, the principle of of uh alpha acids and other compounds sticking to things and dropping out in any way they can is is actually quite simple the complex part is understanding every single place that that can happen right true and and, you know I, i forgot to add uh dry hopping you're throwing hops in there uh, you know, you're 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 gonna have again a, a loss because of that vegetal matter. Now it depends on how much you dry hop, though, hmm. because if if you start getting into two pounds per barrel, three pounds per barrel, four pounds per barrel, we saw an increase in IBUs, uh, a significant increase in IBUs. Uh, so when we're doing our hazy uh, IPAs and we're we're double dry hopping and going up to almost four pounds per barrel. Uh, we 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 had one beer where we did not add any hot side hops. We just did a dry hop only beer. Uh, we went four pounds per barrel of Centennial. Uh, we're just having fun because uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, the finishing IBU of that beer was uh, was almost forty three, just from dry hopping. Wow. Now you know. Luckily, there's been a lot of studies about this, uh, and it, it can be almost safe to say that most of that comes from uh, humulinone as opposed to, of course, isoalpha acid, uh, because you have to boil work to get isoalpha acid. Yeah. Got it. That's impressive. Well, uh, John, I don't think we have to take a third break if it's all right with you, because we, you know, we can. Okay. We, um, I guess what I'm wondering, and, and, and this, I guess, could bring us into uh, the model that you guys ended up with or, or what other breweries can do. But in the end, did you solve the problem, for lack of a, of a better phrase? Were you able to come up now with a way to accurately measure what the re- the resulting IBUs were going to be, and answer your colleague or your boss. I don't know who it was when he came in and said, what the hell happened? Why were we 20 IBUs <laughs> off? <laughs> were you able to uh, uh, formulate a model to, to do this? Uh, it, absolutely. It, it's, it's, the, it's in my recipe spreadsheet that, uh, that I use now. And, uh, you know, every brewery is going to be unique. Uh, so it, it's not oh, going to be perfect. Point. You know, if, you know, if you're home brewing, you're going to have uh, your own gains and losses. Uh, if, if, it's a, if it's a five barrel system, uh, I will say that we uh, at our R and D five barrel system, we we saw the sim- similar gains and losses. And as big as a 150 barrel brew house at our main production facility, we were seeing similar. So, uh, so far so good. Uh, we brewed at our Scripps Ranch facility 36 different types of beer. Uh, lots of them were one-offs, and we applied the model, and uh, we were hitting our IBUs within five uh, almost every time. Wow. So uh, I, all the work actually wasn't for, for nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's <laughs> really I, impressive. I, I, was, I, was, I was pestering our lab. Uh, all the time to the point where, uh, I, I actually, they were, they were, they were always, uh, very good, uh, throughout this whole process. They, they, like I say, they loved geeking out, but man, it, it was a lot of work. It sounds very like cool. it. 
Yeah, so your your model that you have in the paper, which is titled Tracking IBU Through the Brewing Process, The Quest for Consistency, it's in volume 55, number three of the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly Journal. Um, so your model then is really determining your percent utilization based on your brewery and your equipment and then these factors for like contact time, um, hopping rate, and so on, right? It is. And okay. what we do is then target a knockout uh, IBU. So again, uh, we, we have uh, our kettle hops, uh, which we use gravity, time, and hop rate to calculate uh, the IBU pickup from our kettle hops. Yeah. Uh, plus the, the Whirlpool edition, which is uh, gravity, hop rate, and uh, IBU saturation. So those are treated separately. Uh, and then we hit our target at knockout to the fermenter. And when, if, it's a, if, if it's a first-time brew, I, I usually just assume that there's going to be about 33% loss. Okay. Uh, and then we just see what happens. I mean, a lot of times, uh, uh, if you brew enough, you know that uh, a lot of what you do is just trial and error. Yeah. Uh, and if you have the luxury of being able to send in samples uh, to a lab, uh, you can do this. You, you can easily do this. You can... Uh, take out your take your knockout samples. See what IBUs you're getting, and uh, see how much you're losing through through what you do for processes. If you don't filter, uh, then your losses aren't going to be as bad. I mean, a lot of our beers aren't filtered. Uh, for instance, our hazies. Uh, but uh, then you can just you can probably just adjust the equation to your your brew system, and. Uh, I think now we're we're starting to get a better picture of what what's really going on, and uh, I would love for to see uh, further studies to see uh, even more more data. More data is always better than than less. So right, right, uh, and and doing more sophisticated analysis, uh, HPLC, and see like what are the specific ones that are being gained and lost, uh, which compounds. So yeah. It's going to be fun, and it really helps uh, as a brewer for me to to formulate recipes. Like I say, uh, after doing this, a lot of our beers now are just whirlpool-only bittering hops uh, for bitterness. Uh, we started just doing dry hop-only beers uh, because we know that we get bitterness from, from dry hopping. Wow. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, it allows creativity. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that really resulted in enormous changes. Those are not those are not insignificant changes that you ended up making. So no, yeah, uh, and I think it's it, it's kind of uh, you know uh, like I say like Doctor May, uh, you know he he's studying this more to see how it affects Northeast IPAs and mm. and these humulinones and and uh, so on and so forth. So he's he's really charging ahead. To, to see uh, what what's going on in that fermenter, and he's doing a really good job. That's great. Well, and I just want to take a moment to uh, mention one of our sponsors. Since you 
because you brought up, you know, that obviously more people should should do this and and really collect data, get your beer analyzed, you know, based on what you calculated the IBUs and, and then what they ended up being. And for you homebrewers out there, you might think that you don't have access to that, but actually White Labs has, and I'm pretty sure they still do it. They have a what they call Big QC Day every year, and uh, homebrewers and pro brewers alike are able to send in samples of their beer for all sorts of different measurements. Um, so if you're looking for more data on your beer, just like Aaron always is, you homebrewers have an option for that, too. Just go check out our friends over at whitelabs.com. We, uh, for the longest time, were using White Labs. So professional brewers also uh, use White Labs. Uh, once we got to get all our fancy-schmancy equipment, uh, uh, we still use them for, for certain things. And, and they are they're a great resource, for sure. They are. Yeah, good people, too. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Palmer? Do we understand things better now? I think we do. Uh, We've made a pretty long show out of it, but I think it's uh, fascinating, fascinating work. Yeah, Um, I agree. Really, really fills in a lot of the questions that everybody's had over the years. So, yeah, thank you very much, Aaron. (laughs) <laughs> like I say, it's it's this is stuff that I I always uh, was wondering when I was on the brew deck trying to figure it out, and it it, it was so exciting to do this. And uh, you know, hats off to the brew team for collecting all the all the data and our lab uh, team to analyze all of it. Um, like I say, we we once we saw this, it was it was mind boggling, and we had to share it with everyone. And it's it. it that's the fun part of, of being part of the beer community is sharing information. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. And by the way, I now understand why you really left the uh, uh, meteorologist world. You couldn't handle the uncertainty of weather. And uh, <laughs> it, it, you dove into something that you could study and become more certain about, I think. They, 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 <laughs> I, I, I guess you could put it that way. I... I uh, <laughs> There are other reasons, but we can talk about that some other time. Absolutely. But no, I, like I say, uh, t- TV was TV was definitely fun. Um, yeah. yeah, beer. This is the thing about beer. Uh, with weather, you predict it, uh, but you can't drink it uh, at the <laughs> yeah. end of the day. So you know, uh, well, I guess if it's raining, but, right? Even then, I would worry about it, especially in California. Yeah, yeah, good point. But uh, yeah, beer. The, the the coolest thing about beer is that. You, you sit here and you analyze and you do all this. And at the end of the day, you're drinking a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Your beer that you made, which, uh, you know, come on. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's about you know? as cool as it gets. And, well, and, and actually, truth be told, there seems to be, the more we learn about beer, just as many variables in beer as there are in, in any other scientific endeavor. Uh, so, yeah. But at least, like you said, you get to drink it while you're figuring it out. As far as you want to go down that rabbit hole, you can keep on going. Uh, it is, it is, it's beer's bigger than any one person. Right. You can't, you can't know it all. Yeah. And even when you start learning, you, you realize you start forgetting stuff that you learned uh, just, just a year ago. So, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, which is humbling and, and awesome. Absolutely. All right, Aaron. Well, thanks again for being with us today and for all the good work you're doing for Better Beer. Hey, no problem. All right. John, should we get out of here? We should. All right. Very good. Uh, let's thank John Blickman one more time for bringing you this Brew Strong and every Brew Strong. Uh, go see him at Homebrew Con next month in June. I'm excited yep. about that. John, you're going to be there, right? I'll be there, yeah. Probably have to do some uh, Brew Strong shows live. 
Yeah. Yeah. Get a bunch of get a bunch of listener questions. That's always fun. Absolutely. Uh, you can send your listener questions into Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. Those go directly to Jamil and John Palmer. And uh, in fact, uh, next up, we're going to be doing a Q and A show, and and John's going to get through some of your questions today, right? That's right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Bruce Strong filling in for Jamil Zainashev. I'm Justin Crosley, and we'll see you next time.